uh, to share with you this morning. Uh, the reality is that we have shared a lot together. Uh, I think some of you have heard me say over the years uh, that I've been preaching, which isn't that many years, but um, when I come to the end of a sermon series, it's always a bit of a bittersweet moment for me. Uh, usually because I invest so much into the series itself, into the preparation for that series and into every sermon and message that goes into that, that when you come to it, it it's kind of like you're letting go of a really, really good friend, right? It's uh, sermon series kind of guide us through scripture. They give us something to sink our teeth into, hold on to, something to rally around, focus on, a point or, or a thought or that sort of thing. So to come to the end of a, of a sermon series... Uh, is one thing, but to come to the end of a six-month sermon series, like, that's a whole other thing. Like, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 for six months. We started it right back in January. Uh, it was cold that day. It's really not today, which is fantastic. Love this weather way better than that weather. Uh, lots has changed. Lots has changed. Um, I alluded earlier to, to kind of a season of, of endings, and uh, I think that's what today kind of felt like to me. It's the end of a sermon series. It's the end of a time walking through a, a particular passage of Scripture. Um, I thought about a few other things that have ended just this week, kind of coinciding with the end of a month, right? Any World Cup fans? All right, a few of you. Uh, a couple of World Cup hopes died this week, right? A couple of teams are already out, and that's sad for them. Um, spring officially ended this week. Uh, we ushered in summer on Thursday morning, 6.07 a.m. Uh, all of that spring flowers and some of the things that come with spring um, moved into summer, and that's a good thing. School, as you've just heard, school ended for everybody uh, this week. School's finally over. Kids, you've got summer vacation ahead of you, right? Anybody looking forward to that? Kids, we've got a few of them out there. High school ended, not just school, but high school ended, college ended, um, a few other ends, you know, when it relates to education and, and change that way. Youth group ended for some of our seniors. That's going to be kind of weird, right? No more youth group. Kids jam, children's church ended for some of our fifth graders. They can't go down to children's church during Sunday morning service anymore. They got to listen to me preach now. Uh, so that ended. Um, on a more serious note, we, we saw the passing of loved ones this week, and um, last week, family and friends have passed on. Life has ended. Of course, this sermon series ended, is ending. Missions trips ended. I'd even throw in there a bad immigration policy potentially ended, right? Um, lots of ends. And... Um, it seemed good to me that we take time to reflect on all of those endings. And particularly for us this morning, I want to focus a little bit upon the end of our sermon series, of course. But all endings, don't they stimulate thoughts of impact, of legacy, of events? I couldn't help but sit through the funeral this week and be reflecting upon the impact of a life well-lived the legacy that was left behind. Of course, there's things that we reflect on that we learn. There's habits, maybe, that need to change. Views of ourselves. Views of others. 
course, with every ending, hopefully, prayerfully, comes new opportunities. So those are things to reflect on as well. As things end, we get to think of the new things that are coming. Some of us just stop and reflect upon the fact that time doesn't stop. It just keeps marching forward. One second at a time. So all of those things cause us to reflect. And today is a good time to do that. And in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to invite you to get back into some small group discussions and to reflect. And I'm going to ask you some questions about our sermon series, Living a Countercultural Life. And really, we want to reflect upon the Sermon on the Mount, of course, but we want to reflect on this idea of living a countercultural life. Are we any further along after six months of digging into thoughts about living counterculturally? Are we any further along in actually achieving that? Living a different kind of life. I've promised for actually a couple of months now that at the end of the sermon series I would come back and kind of summarize the whole thing because if you remember at the very beginning of the sermon series I said the Sermon on the Mount is not something that should be taken and chunked into small pieces and looked at it like life lessons. If you read it like that you miss a very very big picture of what Jesus is trying to accomplish in his sermon. Now, by necessity, we took it and chunked it into small sections. And I told you that was unavoidable because in order to dig into the various parts of the sermon and look at the verses that are in there, you have to break them down and spend some time with them. And frankly, we could have spent even more time with them. They are things that I would encourage you to go back to. But Jesus did have a big overarching point. It was a sermon in a sense. Now, it wasn't a sermon like you would hear today or that you might hear me or another preacher preach. It was more of a, of a talk or a discussion. Jesus sitting down with his disciples like you are with me at the moment and maybe uh, just kind of walking through some life application and perspective and sharing about what they knew versus what God wanted them to know, what Jesus thought they should know. And so there was this discussion kind of talk format but there still was a big point. And one of the things that I would encourage you to do now that you've been through the whole thing, if you haven't already, is go start with Matthew chapter 5 and read all the way to Matthew chapter 7 and read it all together. Don't just read it for its individual parts because it's easy to stop and reflect on each of those parts. But read it for its whole. Read it for its big picture. And what you would need to do, and I'm just going to remind you, is go back to Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 17, where Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You can't understand the Sermon on the Mount without going back to the kingdom of heaven is near. Because in order to really embrace all that the sermon has to offer you, you have to believe that the kingdom is available to you. And one of the questions that I have for you this morning is, do you believe that the kingdom of heaven is available to you? Is the kingdom of heaven any more real to you today, more available, more alive to you today than it was maybe six months ago? In order to really grasp that idea, you need to take hold of two things. First of all, you need to understand that 
the life that God intends is filled with and motivated by his love. That really, if you wanted to take that whole sermon, try to put it into some kind of a statement, and that that doesn't do it justice, but the life that God intends for you is motivated and filled with his love. Is that more real to you today than it was when we started working through the sermon? Because to take hold of that love means you really have to do two things. One, the kingdom of heaven needs to be something that you think is available to you, something that you can grasp. But the other thing is that you need to recognize who Jesus is. And I think that's probably the bigger thing where we get tripped up. Let me do a little word association with you for a minute. If I say the word brilliant... Who comes to your mind? Beethoven. Beethoven. Who else comes to your mind? This is, you can call out. Hmm? Einstein. Einstein. Yep. Who else? Brilliant. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Yeah, that's a good one. Hmm? Okay. I knew there was going to be one, and you're right, right? The truth of the matter is, very few people associate brilliant with Jesus. Very few people associate smart with Jesus. They associate Jesus with maybe philosopher, maybe really good guy, maybe good moral teacher. They associate Jesus with something sort of old, archaic, way back in ancient Palestine, old Israel. They associate Jesus with something other than if you had the opportunity today to go study, learn from, hang with, you got a fellowship to hang with somebody today to make you into somebody, you probably wouldn't choose Jesus. Some of you would. But most people, and especially people out there in the world, don't think of Jesus as somebody who's really, really smart. Really, really brilliant. And the problem with that is that when we read something like the Sermon on the Mount, we think of it as just a collection of good teachings, but we don't understand that it's the key to life. We don't understand that Jesus is offering us something truly brilliant in his Sermon on the Mount. We don't take hold of that. And because we don't take hold of that, it becomes this collection of things that I either can do or I can't do. And it's based upon what I am able to accomplish in my own strength. But that's not the purpose of the sermon. The purpose of the sermon was to show how life can be lived, to show what life was supposed to be, As Jesus, as God envisioned it, even all the way back to the beginning of time. And Jesus is that person that you can take hold of to help guide you through that. But we have to grasp that Jesus is first of all brilliant, smart, the wisest person that ever lived. That he's actually somebody to invest your life in. And if you can't get there, then most of what happens in the sermon becomes a moot point. Jesus did have a structure to the sermon. I'm just going to give you the brief overview, the highlight for just a real quick second. Starting in the very beginning with Matthew 5, 1 through 12, kind of that, what we would call the Beatitudes. It was all about access. Jesus started by, by saying, you know what? Who has access to this kingdom? What, who's it available for? You and me. Ordinary people. Not the elite, not the ruling class, not the religious folks, not the teachers and the Pharisees and all those folks that thought they knew best. 
No, the kingdom of heaven is available for ordinary you and me. And everybody's welcome. It's accessible to every person. And we can't embrace the sermon if we don't accept that it's for you and me. It was designed for you and me. And not only is it accessible to us, but we are special. He goes on to talk about you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the ones. You ordinary folks. And it's not like that's pejorative or putting anybody down. It's just, it's accessible. You are the ones that are going to make the difference in the world around you. And I say that to each and every one of you here today. Like, the sermon should be making a difference in your life. You are the ones that are going to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear in this world. You and me. It's about access. It's about an open invitation. And he goes on to deal with the things, all right? So it's open, it's available, and we're going to make the difference. But we got to get rid of some stuff. we got to take care of some things. And he starts right at the root of what we all deal with, and that is anger, bitterness, obsessive desires, as Dallas Willard would call it. We got to get rid of some stuff. It gets in the way. That's part of the human nature that we are all wrestling with deep down in our core. And if we want to live the way that Jesus has called us to live, we want to live the kingdom life, that's what we have to deal with first. Get rid of that anger and that bitterness and that obsessive desire that plays itself out with lust and lying and selfishness and all those sorts of things. So that's the flow. You're going to make the difference, but let's get rid of some stuff. But then what do we do? We've got to replace it with some stuff. We don't replace it with just anything, but we replace it with this deep down desire to love others. Love for others, agape love, that deep-seated, you first, me second kind of love. That's what we have to be replacing it with, with generosity, with self-sacrifice. And then he goes in and he talks about not letting ourselves be consumed by external desires, external things, people-pleasing, right? Don't stand on the street corners and don't do your giving. And these things that we desire, the worries that we have, the worries and the cares of life. Once we've gotten rid of some stuff, we've replaced it with other things. Be careful what consumes your thinking. And then from there, you learn how to tell the story to others. You have to share this story. This is a good news story. This is the gospel. This is what God, Jesus, came to tell us all about. Dallas Willard would make the the case that it's moving from a ministry of condemnation to a ministry of the Spirit in a community of prayerful love. That's what we're being called to moving away from condemnation, recognizing who I am before God and recognizing how much he loves me and how much he's done for me so that I can then impart that and share that with others, not in a condemning kind of way, but in an inviting kind of way. And he ends his sermon with, now live it, put it into practice. And that's where we are today. I don't know if this will be interesting to you, but one-sixth, 15 out of the 92 verses in the sermon 
are dedicated to making sure that you live it out. Practice what you preach. Put it into practice. Don't just say it and not do it. Don't just acknowledge it and not live it. 15 out of 92 verses. One-sixth of the sermon is all about living it. That's where we are today. Living counterculturally. Living in a world where you might feel like you're going upstream sometimes. Living in a way that becomes light and salt and extending God's love. That's where we are today. That's the flow. There's a nice flow to his sermon. These are some questions that I'd love for you to spend a few minutes now reflecting upon. And I'd love for you to do that in groups. Uh, We're going to go back to just a, a few minutes of reflection. When we're done, we're mostly done. So this is kind of the end of our service today. We're not going to extend it beyond this. We don't have any more singing, anything like that. So we're going to just take a few minutes, take our time. Ask these questions of yourself. Ask these questions of each other. And to the extent that you are willing to share, share them. If you're new today, maybe somebody next to you will share a little bit about their own story and they can be drawing you into that conversation. But we're just going to take a few minutes because what I really want to do is I don't want to skip past an opportunity to reflect on six months worth of an investment that we've made to really unpack what Jesus is saying to us. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to turn and share and talk and, uh, and then I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll close our service. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's been such a privilege to walk through unpacking the sermon that you gave so lovingly to your people so many years ago. What a privilege, Lord, to hear you expound on life and the meaning of it and and how to live it and what you expect, what you expected from the very beginning. A life dedicated to love and to embracing your mission and purpose in the world. The expansion of your kingdom. So Lord, today as we reflect on all the things that have ended, as we reflect upon life, as we reflect upon uh, time marching forward, Lord, we don't want to miss an opportunity to put a marker down to say that we're going to be different. We're going to move forward. We're going to apply what we have learned. So Lord, help us even now as we discuss and share with one another. I thank you for this privilege, this time that we have. Make it fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen.